You are now listening to Tackling the World, a podcast designed to bridge the political divide by bringing people together to discuss important topics affecting our daily lives. Today, we discuss our topic, the world and COVID-19, a very important topic to discuss because of the massive effects world world leaders will have with their next decisions. Our guest is Lap Wen, a senior in high school with left-leaning views. He will be sharing his perspectives on the world and COVID-19. Hello. Hey, Lap. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Of course, um, anytime. I know you're a great uh, person with lots of great political views, um, and you're very knowledgeable about what's going on all the time. So it's really great for me to have you on here and talk about the world and COVID-19. So thank you. Oh, thank you. The pleasure is mine. <laughs> all right, then. Are you ready to jump into the questions? Sure. All right, let's get started. So to start off, we're going to start with just the United States, uh, just so we get some information off the ground from here, and then we'll move on to the world. So do you think the United States is doing enough right now to fight COVID-19? I think that uh, the United States is is definitely not doing enough right now, especially in terms of, of two regards. The first is the, the cavalier nature about uh, of which our our leaders you know seem to be seem to be taken towards this this whole crisis and and the second mm-hmm. is that uh, we are far from reaching the testing capabilities that are required to to have uh, safe uh, reopening of, of the country. And so I think that right now the United States is is doing barely enough. We're just barely having the necessary medical supplies uh, and we're just taking a very kind of hands-off approach to this whole crisis. And it seems to me that, that the mentality is, you know, this is a crisis, we just pump money into it rather than finding actual solutions or listening to the medical professionals who are telling us that we need to stay at home for for at least a few more weeks or we need to expand our testing because we can clearly see that uh, testing right now is is not enough, especially when when in regards to to our um, partnering uh, nations such as Iceland or South Korea, where they were able to expand their t- uh, testing capabilities and was able to slow down the disease pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how we were far from our testing capabilities. What do you think when you see President Trump in his press conferences saying that the United States is the country with the most tests done right now? What goes through <laughs> your mind when you hear President Trump say that? <laughs> well, I think it's 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 I'm not surprised, quite quite honestly, because that is the the language that is used by our current administration. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think it, it really is a dangerous kind of language to use because it assumes that and it implies that we are actually doing better than, than we actually are. And so mm-hmm. in return, what happens is his supporters and the people who, who listen to his words they believe that we are actually, you know, uh, reaching a point where we we are able to open up and and everything be be safe again, 
And that's dangerous. And we can see that cases are now beginning to spike in certain areas where people are not obeying stay-at-home orders. And so I think that it is dangerous, but but I think I'm not it's not it's nothing out of the ordinary, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, President Trump is a Republican, he's a conservative, and their ideology uh, is pretty different, obviously. And mm-hmm. they want states to have their own uh, power to do what they want to do for their citizens, right? They yeah. want states to have more power. Do you think at this pa- pandemic stage that President Trump should leave states to do what's best for their people? Or should he, with the federal government, step in and take charge to push the whole country in one direction? I think that the federal government has a duty and a responsibility to at least establish some parameters that certain states cannot relax their restrictions too far. But at the same time, the requirements and the uh, necessary steps to alleviating the pandemic uh, differs from state to state. We have very densely populated California and New York, where there is a necessity to continue the ongoing restrictions, whereas states such as Wyoming or West Virginia, where the population is at least a bit more spread out, we can have some relaxation of policies to ease the concerns of local citizens. So I think that it would be wise for President Trump to at least allocate some of that responsibilities to the local governors, but but also be reminded that with national health guidelines, there are precautions that should not be lifted too early. So for example, uh, certain states may uh, may relax their stay-at-home orders, but social distancing guidelines must continue for all 50 states. Because right mm-hmm. now we're in such an early stage in the pandemic where it could go either way. And so I think that it would be you know, smart for, for President Trump to at least establish some sort of basic uh, guidelines. Now, there is a lot of um, speculation about the economy, which is currently tanking, I mean, obviously, all over the world. And, you know, many people, Democrats and Republican politicians on either side, are both very worried about jobs and um, the, the, the increase in unemployment. So a lot – so – do you think that they should not be thinking about the economic impacts this early in the pandemic? Or do you think they should be really worrying about it right now before it escalates into something bigger? Well, I think, uh, I think, I think they are at least on the right track in terms of paying attention to the economy. But I think it would be uh, short-sighted to just focus on the economic impacts of, of this pandemic and in return... Uh, take actions that would cause um, an explosion and possibly a second wave of infections like reopening too early. So I think that, yes, it is good that the federal government understands the impact that this pandemic has on the citizens. But it is also crucial to understand that if we reopen too early, the economic uh, the economic impacts of this pandemic would be exacerbated because this is just simply the first wave. And if we grew open too early, as China have seen, there's now a second wave spreading through uh, Wuhan. We can actually mm-hmm. face that that very same debacle, and in turn, the 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 economic toll uh, would be much greater and much more prolonged. So I think it is good 
that uh, that they're paying attention, but they also have to take into consideration that if we are not careful, this can go on for much longer than anyone hopes it would. Now, now, what would you say to all of the protesters out there around the country who are asking to get back to their jobs and to earn money? Well, I think, well, two things. The first is that that I feel you. Uh, both of my parents, at least, uh, were were unemployed, uh, and now my dad is an essential worker uh, who mm-hmm. delivers parcels. And so, and my mom really do want to kind of return to work and and make a make a living. But the thing is, the economic impact is hurting everyone. It is not just you that that are being hurt. And so, I think they should at least understand that this action isn't meant to curtail their civil liberties or any of that sort, but rather as a caution for their family and themselves and the safety of their community. And so I think that that's really important to, to really, uh, to, um, to the, that the protesters understand. Additionally, mm-hmm. you know, many of these protesters, they're going out there and they're saying that they're the real patriots of this country fighting for liberty and freedom. Well, I would argue that that by protecting their community and by not allowing more Americans to die needlessly because of, you know, relaxation of social distancing norms, that's being a real patriot. And so I think it's not... Uh, being, you know, out there and proudly waving the American flag that is patriotism, but it's the the care and concern that that people have for one another as Americans and the empathy that we feel for each other during this pandemic. That's what makes us patriots. Now, these protesters, their biggest problems are with money, right? Without jobs, they don't have mm-hmm. money and they can't pay rent. They can't pay for food uh, and they can't pay for insurance like car insurance or health insurance. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, a working person needs to pay for every single month. And $1,200 every once in three, four months is not going to mm-hmm. cut it for them, right? I mean, $1,200 right. goes by extremely quick. So, Correct. so don't you see – I mean, I guess – I guess right. I, I see. I, I see. I see your now. point. No, I I absolutely do, and and I think that that is where the federal government can can really come in and play the role that it it should, right? Because what uh-huh. we see, what we have continually see in in this country, whether it be you know Democrats in charge or Republicans in charge, is that when it comes to economic crisis, the bailouts always goes to the largest corporations and the big banks, not fully to the American citizens. So I think that there is an inherent responsibility of the federal government to at least during this time of crisis, help out the the common folk and, and the people in need. And so I think an expanded program of uh, both an, uh, an expanded unemployment program, right, would, would be extremely beneficial during this time and not just pumping money into the airline industry to keep them afloat during this pandemic. Because real Americans are suffering, so I think that 
that's that's where that's where it comes in. And so, you know, some of these protesters, um, they were formerly very against kind of the the idea of of a federal government taking on that role. But this crisis has highlighted the importance of having some kind of safety net in place. And the only entity that is truly capable of doing it in a time of crisis is the federal government. And do you think the recent three, the recent three trillion dollar stimulus package is doing enough? Well, I th- I, I think the 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 three trillion dollar stimulus packet that uh, package that you're referring to is the mm-hmm. proposal made by the House Democrats, uh, and yes. is currently uh, I think would be the correct step uh, would be the right step in. Uh, be the first step in the right direction there. I think that we need to expand those programs uh, so that, you know, Americans can stay home with the knowledge that they will have the money to put food on the table. And so I, I support that $3 trillion kind of stimulus package because that's what Americans needs right now. Uh, and so, so yes, I, I do support it, but I unfortunately think it's going to die in the Senate because of uh, political reasons. Yeah, and it, and it barely passed the House, so I mean, right? There's there's the, the, there's a lot going on there. Um, now now moving into uh, some of the cures touted by President Trump, um, he suggested untested drugs to American citizens, such as the hydroxo uh, the hydroxychloroquine uh, drug. Uh, <laughs> What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think um, once again, it it really is. There, there's no better word for it. Dangerous. I, I think it's it's mm-hmm. it's very the callous nature of the current administration. Uh, you know, towards touting these unproven claims in order to make themselves look good is is going to play a detrimental impact on American lives because. You know, Americans are going out there thinking that there is some kind of cure for this this disease when there isn't. I mean, a recent uh, we we've recently seen that a new uh, study have have come out that hydroxychloroquine actually does not work against COVID nineteen, and for the people that it worked for, it really um, was purely luck and uh, of a mm-hmm. of a smaller sample size. And when we extrapolate that to the entire population, it clearly doesn't work. It might at best reduce certain symptoms, but in no ways makes them less contagious or even help treat their their disease. And so I think to tout it like it's the miracle cure is is uh, akin to a old west snake oil salesman. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, that that is dangerous. That is dangerous. So uh, now, so now, moving on to uh, the world and what countries can do together. Um, what do you think the world can do right now, uh, together, working together during this dire time to fight off this uh, fight off this virus? Well, I, I think um, the first thing is the world needs to come together to work out first a vaccine and a a cure to to this disease and i think you know partnerships are critical in in fostering that so it it requires kind of um intercontinental partnerships as we've seen with the uh previous outbreak of of ebola the world came Mm -hmm. together and across you know uh 
you know, I, I believe it was 10 nations, 10 nations uh, with various clinical trials working on the same kind of vaccine. They were able to manufacture the Ebola vaccine in, in about three years, ta- uh, three years time. And so, and so I think that that's where we need to be headed is, is more global cooperations in terms of figuring out how to cure this disease and how to prevent it fr- from spreading. And although we have certain kind of enmities like with uh, China right now, I think the time as of right now is not the time to blame other countries, but rather to work cooperatively to at least find the cure, find the vaccine before we worry about who is at fault for this virus. And do you think defunding the World Health Organization is going to help this cause in any way? I think it's it's not. It's a, it's a huge setback for, um, mm-hmm. you know, for for the for global medicine, because the World Health Organization is essentially uh, coordinating kind of the the uh, or can be used because the infrastructure is already in place and should be used to coordinate the development of new vaccines and new mm-hmm. drugs. And right now they're not being utilized at all. And in fact, after we funded them, now there is uh, now we're wasting the global infrastructure that is already in place for the, to, for global cooperation in terms of this regard and essentially just having each country develop their own or working on their own thing and I think that that's very um, that's that's a huge setback for the global community are there certain things that countries are doing right now to fight covid 19 that the world can learn from yes I, I think that there there is definitely I think the first lesson is is testing. Um, what mm-hmm. we've seen from from South Korea is testing was what allowed them to figure out and and perform contact tracing to the point where they are able to effectively kind of corner corner the virus, quarantine those individuals, and now their cases are on the rapid decline, and they are and and they can you know slowly get back to work and, and go back to normal. Another thing is enforcement. Uh, we look at Germany, and they were willing to take a hard stance. Um, you know, they they had certain certain mm-hmm. areas. They had fines up to ten thousand euros uh, against citizens who would not wear face masks. Oh wow! I, these are drastic measures, but in return, Germany is now starting to open up once again, and we can see that that they're doing much better in terms of not just flattening the curve, but decreasing it to the point where they're able to uh, to get back to normal with, of course, still social distancing in place. And so I think yeah. it might not work too well in, in our kind of American society because we really, really value individual rights. But I think this mm-hmm. pandemic is where this this really gets tested. And sometimes we have to put aside uh, a little bit of our individual rights in favor of the common good. Because, you know, to, to continue to say that it is my right to go out without a mask is being extremely selfish to the people around you and the community that, that you know, you are in. Because we do not live in a vacuum, unfortunately. And so, you know, people might and possibly will be hurt by your actions. And so I think that that is where um, the United States can can really learn from is, is that. And then finally, 
is is New Zealand. We look at New Zealand and they were able to get their cases down because they had people in charge that took the disease seriously. I mean, I believe back in March they had one case. They shut down the country immediately and mm-hmm. now they're they're uh, they had a couple of days where they had no COVID cases, and now there's only a few where the government can actually keep track and keep tab of, of the spread. And so I think that with those three countries as examples, I think the United States can, can learn a lot there. And And one constant here is that we see that each of the countries you just mentioned, they all started early. They started their lockdowns early, they started their testing early, and they ramped it up really mm-hmm. quickly. And I feel like the I feel like the, the US could have done the same exact thing if it weren't for the president, you know, not you know, not caring right. about it. You know, he's like, Oh, when this when summertime comes, it's gonna go away because of the heat. I mean, just saying right. comments like that, you're not really helping the situation, you're not doing really anything to help the country move forward with this. Right. And, I agree. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we could have definitely done that. And uh, one thing that I found pretty fascinating was in China, um, in Wuhan especially, in, in that area, um, before they lifted the lockdown, the government actually had an app set in place. I don't know if you've heard of this, but they had oh. an app by the government, and it's basically a QR code mm-hmm. um, in the app, and it it's either red green or yellow so red meaning that you have the virus and you should not be outside and and yellow being you have been in contact with someone recently who may have the virus and green being you are free don't have the virus you're good to go and how this works is if you want to go buy groceries or if you want to uh, go buy a train ticket or a plane ticket or whatever it may be you have to show these to the authorities there and um, depending on what color it is, you will be allowed certain access. And I know something like this isn't would would not work in the U.S., especially with all the privacy things going on. Um, mm-hmm. This would basically allow the yep. government to track their citizens a lot more. And right. you know, people won't like it here. But do you think something like this could be a little possible? Well, I mean, is it possible? I, I'd say... Probably not here in the United States, but um, mm-hmm. whether or not I, I think that this is a good idea, I honestly think that it, it, it really isn't, um, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because it, it, is, it sets a dangerous kind of precedence where, yes, the government is, you know, hypothetically doing this for the common good, but at some point there is a boundary that, that has to be drawn, and so... Mm-hmm. And so to have an app like that really inhibits kind of, of data privacy and 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 that's that's dangerous, I think, in the long run and would be detrimental to our individual rights. Now with that mm-hmm. said, I think there is definitely something to be said about, you know, keeping at least figuring out uh, you know, which which individuals should stay home. And that really goes back to, to testing. Because um, what what we've seen is, in terms of of um, places like South Korea or, or Germany, they were able to to get the tests in place and was able to um, to you know tell certain citizens that that they should stay home and and have the the mm-hmm. fines in place to to encourage that. 
And so I think that an app like that here in the United States would be particularly dangerous. And if we look at to our neighboring countries, um, I think, you know, they were able to, to mostly resolve the situation without resorting to such drastic measures. Now, if we have an app where it tells its users, like, here, here's like a checklist of whether or not you should go get tested, I, I would support that. Because then it would uh -huh. raise awareness about the disease and what the symptoms entail. And that's really important is, is awareness in the situation. And so I think, yeah. yes, I would support an app like that. But in terms of tracking, no, I would not. Um, so now moving to uh, frontline workers in you know, all countries. Mm -hmm. what, can what can countries do to help frontline workers as they continue to put their lives at risk? while saving others? I think the, the first thing is countries could choose not to actively go against the advice of, of medical professionals. That's, that's I think, yep. the number one thing. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I think it, it really is, um, it really hurts the, the healthcare workers because when, when citizens are told that they are free to go or they, they can go with these relaxed... Uh, restrictions, they do they do things that are not in the best interest of public health, and and that puts mm -hmm. the lives of these men and women on the line. And and so I think that that's the first thing. The second thing that's really important is we need to focus on more uh, uh, the continual manufacturing of of medical supplies because. We've seen the, the images in the New York hospitals where nurses are using garbage bags to protect themselves. That is yeah. atrocious for, for a country that, that claims to, that is the wealthiest nation on earth. And so I think that, you know, that's just in the United States. But in other countries, um, testing su supplies are also running low as well, uh, depending on, on which countries you look at. And so... And so just continuing that, that supplies is, is also really important. And then finally, uh, mental health is, is really important during a time like this. And we've seen, unfortunately, many medical professionals, at least one very notable one that, that made it to the New York Times, where, where mm -hmm. she essentially committed suicide. And I think that this needs mm -hmm. to be addressed because we are you know, watching our, uh, our medical professionals being really overworked and, and they are overwhelmed. And so there has to be some kind of counseling in place, uh, mental health resources in place to help these, uh, these people who are so bravely putting themselves on the front lines of this pandemic. Yes. And for everybody who's listening, um, a way that all of you can help our frontline workers, no matter where you live, is... I know for a fact that many hospitals are in dire need of face masks, um, not, not not to treat COVID-19 patients, but in order to treat regular patients. And they would love to use some homemade masks in order to make that possible. And I know my parents have been, or my mom in, in, in especially has been using her sewing machine to make, I mean, lots, lots of masks, face masks, using like extra fabric just laying around the house. So if any of you have like an extra fabric, I mean, just making five or six masks and going to your local hospital and delivering it to them could have a major impact for them because every single face mask that you deliver 
really helps a lot. So uh, for all of you out there, if you could go ahead and do that in your spare time, because I know a lot of you are just sitting at home, um, it could really help out our frontline workers. So I just wanted to say that. Um, and uh, now moving on, uh, we're going to move on to the World Health Organization and some concerns they've been raising about a, uh, about a mysterious inflammatory disease in children linked potentially linked to COVID-19. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think that that's just, uh, we, we re- that just highlights how much we, we really don't know about this, this coronavirus and, you know, what, what it's capable of. And so I think we have to continue to, to study its, its progression. We need to, to look at, you know, all, all the cases and, and really, take this seriously. Um, and, you know, at least I am a bit as a, you know, citizen, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in some sense, I'm, I'm at least glad that here in the United States, um, you know, our, our leaders are at least taking it just a bit more seriously than they used to. That, I mean, that's a, that's yep. the first step in the right direction. But like I said, this, this disease, uh, this disease is highlighting how much we don't know about it. And, and so, and so we need to put kind of all of our efforts and weight behind figuring out what this is, what it does. And also it really eliminates the, the notion that young people are not, are not at risk or at lower risk of, of dying or having serious complications from this disease. And this is Definitely. somehow an old person's disease, right? So mm-hmm. I think that that's where we have to take it more seriously. We have to watch know our children i know i have a brother who is nine and he touches his face like you know all the time and now if you go the even younger babies they put whatever they want into their mouths right so those exactly Uh those are really kind of at risk demographics now as we're finding out so it, it really brings it into um into light that we should be taking this more seriously because we really don't know what's going on here and in so what specifically could some countries do uh, to help prepare for this? Well, I think for one, they should at least um, do uh, wait. So for this, are you referring to to the new kind of complications or are you referring yes, to yes. the disease as the whole? Oh, the new complications. Well, I think yep, the new complications. Yes. I think what they could do is they could at least, you know, broadcast it and and bring it to light, have public uh, officials and public health officials highlight the severity that it has in certain children and that the risk Mm -hmm. is now not just for old people, but for young people as well. So that parents are aware of the risks that, you know, their children faces in in, in terms of this disease and they can take the necessary precautions to, you know, clean the toys watch where their child is going, Why, uh, you know, yep. make sure that their child is, is, is at a safe distance if they're somehow in public. And so that's where, that's where uh, countries can really prepare because the, the, best, th- the, best, um, the best thing about this is it's better to, to not contract it at all than, than, you know, even if there's a cure at the end. Um, so so that's, that's why it's really important that, you know, prevention is is the most important uh, factor in all of this. Um, so, travel bubbles um, is a new experiment run by some countries um, in the Baltic states of mm-hmm. um, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, where citizens mm-hmm. from these countries are allowed 
movement between them only. What are your thoughts on travelables? And do you think these countries should be doing this right now, especially in the midst of a pandemic? Well, um, I, I think that the reason why these, these countries are allowing some of that is, I think, for one, their population is small enough where they've probably done the, the adequate testing that, that are in place. And, and so they, they, their governments at least feels a bit safer in terms of, of that. But I think it's still a very risky move. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, those three countries are, are extremely linked together, the Baltic states, in terms of, of economy and, and of, um, you know, uh, yeah. And, and so I think it is, I'm not saying it's good, but it's, um, it's probably risky, but it's understandable why they would, you know, feel at least safe enough where, where they can have that. Now, if we're looking at, at other countries like Western Europe with, with France and Germany, their populations are huge. And so having travel bubbles would be extremely dangerous. And, and especially in densely populated city like Paris, Berlin, and London, that's, that's Mm -hmm. really kind of where disease can, can fester. Whereas the Baltic states, they do have their densely populated capital, but most of the population is relatively suburban to rural, and so mm-hmm. that's where that's where I think that that can can really um, be be in place. Now, as for the United States, we are just simply too large, and and the amount of cases that are currently going on right now would made would make travel bubbles here in the United States just, I believe, a, a very dangerous concept. Of course. Um, so we were talking about uh, we were talking about mental health with frontline workers, mm-hmm. and you know the world. Some orga- some organizations like the World Health Organization are, are saying that there is a looming mental health crisis, mm-hmm. um, and they and they are telling countries to do something about it before it gets even more worrisome. Mm-hmm. So, do you know any countries right now that are taking these steps? And if they aren't. Why should they be taking these steps? Hmm. Well, I think um, let's see. I'm not aware of of countries that are not taking the necessary precautions in terms of of mental health. So that's something mm-hmm. that I I will be looking into. But I think you know speaking from from what i know and and experience here and looking at just kind of the united states as a as a whole mental health has been um our our weak point in in many regards even before this pandemic and and so what what we're seeing is this pandemic is just exacerbating the the mental health crisis that it's already going on i mean before this pandemic uh suicide was one of the leading causes of deaths for for not uh, for americans and also for young adults and now yep. it it probably is is much worse thanks to this um isolation and so um i know i know also is that there there is stigmatization in terms of mental health in in you know, Vietnam and, and perhaps even Asian countries as well. And so that's where I think we need to, this is just a broader kind of uh, issue, but we need to destigmatize mental health. But during this pandemic, mm-hmm. what countries can do is they can, they can offer resources in terms of mental health and, um, you know, have, have um, clinics or, or have online kind of, um, 
therapy sessions of some sorts that that should be mm-hmm. available to to citizens, perhaps for a discounted price, you know, subsidized by the government. Whether or not, uh, you know, I, I think that would be beneficial. Definitely make it accessible to to frontline workers, uh, uh, you know, healthcare professionals there, and also have PSAs that encourage people to perhaps not go out, uh, not you know, gather, but take a walk around the neighborhood, something to, to yeah. really allow them to get out. And I think that, um, you know, here, here in Minnesota, uh, you know, uh, the, the governor has uh, encouraged people to, to not just, um, you know, just go outside and enjoy the, the scenery. And that's why he's also, uh, you know, loosen up restrictions in terms of outdoor recreational areas. It's that it's mm-hmm. it's expansive enough where, you know, you don't necessarily gather. So practice social distancing, but also allow your brain to just kind of wander and and take it, take your mind off of the, um, the current crisis. Definitely. And we all know that any sort of vaccine for this virus is more than a year away at the like early earliest. And uh-huh. many people are suggesting that herd immunity could be a way to reduce the amount of coronavirus cases in the future. What are your thoughts on herd immunity? And do you think it's worth looking into and trying? Well, I think every everything is, is worth looking into and, and trying right now. But uh, we also have to understand that that also means that, uh, you know, people people have to it's going to be a big sacrifice if, if we you know we go into the direction of of herd immunity so you know we we don't know for sure if if it's going to work because what we've seen in china at least is that this virus has the capability of reinfecting people who have already been infected and mm-hmm. and so this is this is i don't think it's going to work in this case uh, because of the nature of this virus, this isn't like mumps or or you know chicken pox or something like that, where mm-hmm. where once you have it, your body builds uh, the immunity it needs. Unfortunately, the in some people they're going to get reinfected, and so herd immunity might not uh, work at all. And what we would see is a massive explosion in cases if we go in this direction. So it is, it is a possibility to, to try out. But what from what I've seen and from what you know people uh, people are seeing from this virus is is it's, it probably won't work. So many countries right now are in a state of fighting for survival. One mm-hmm. example would be the United States buying early access to a potential vaccine from a French drug giant, uh, Sanofi, I believe Mm -hmm. is how you pronounce it. I may have butchered that. Um, Should the United States be behaving this way or should the United States work with more, with other governments to share the access to this potential vaccine? I think, um, well, here's the thing. The United States might, um, if it follows this path, it's a very short-sighted path because you know, if the United States to get get the rights to to this vaccine, or at least have kind of access to the bulk of it, that means that other countries can still be in be infectious. And if you know the United States might get rid of itself of of the coronavirus somehow, right? And we open things up, well, people from mm-hmm. other countries are still going to be traveling to us, and we will get reinfected again. And so to just focus on ourselves 
is is detrimental and i think it, it hurts our self-interest and so by partnering with other countries and making sure that when this vaccine is available it will be able to be cheaply distributed across kind of all nations of the world that's that's how you get um, an, an eradication of, of a disease or at least mass uh, or, or mitigation of its effects. When we look at the, um, the smallpox vaccine, right? The reason mm-hmm. why we no longer have smallpox, and in fact, it has been eradicated since the, uh, since the 70s, is that all nations mm-hmm. were participating in this massive global effort to eradicate the disease. Additionally, mm-hmm. we look at um, polio. We are now down to kind of single digits, double digits. It ranges year per year of cases. And that's because of a global effort to immunize the entire kind of global population. And by only doing so, are we assured that the threat will never come back to, to haunt us. And so if we work in our self-interest right now, it will hurt our self-interest in the future. And uh, you were talking about, you know, uh, giving vaccines to their population in order to slow down, you know, polio or smallpox or whatever it may be in the past. What do you have to say for anti-vaxxers at this very moment? (laughs) Well, um, I hope that uh, when, you know, I hope, uh, I pray that you never get the disease uh, because, <laughs> wow, it's going to be, it's going to be sad. It's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. Yeah. yeah. Because I, sincerely, I think, you know, anti-vaxxers, they're coming from a point or perspective of, of, you know, ignorance. It's like fear. And, or yeah, and ignorance, fear. Yeah. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, and to some extent, some questions are good. Like, you know, wanting to ask about, you know, ingredients within vaccines, fine. But at some point, when the evidence scientifically is concluded that they are safe, I don't, to continue to go against that, I think it's just simply being being stubborn. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the scientific consensus is vaccines do not cause autisms. They do not have the, the adverse impacts that anti-vaxxers claim. And in fact... Mm-hmm. If that is the case, like, if it really is that bad, then we would have never been able to eradicate, uh, you know, smallpox or mitigate polio or even in the United States until recently um, eradicate measles. That's yeah. that's simply the, the truth. Mm-hmm. And now I just want to slightly touch on a topic uh, but I'm planning on doing another podcast just dedicated to this, so just mm-hmm. just, just a, a little talk on it. Um, what do you? Th- so, do you think the World Health Organization has had faults during this pandemic, and do you think countries should keep the organization accountable? So, uh, I, uh, so two things with that. First, yes, I think the World Health Organization could have uh, handled it better by at least exerting more pressure on on China at the at the mm-hmm. uh, you know during the very early stages of this pandemic i think they were i, I don't know whether or not there was uh, you know were you know interests that we we do not know about that were at play there or you know whatever the the dynamic and relationship is but i think that if had they had pressured china to at least 
you know, release more accurate information, open up, you know, the country for the World Health Organization to come in and investigate. That would have uh, resol- uh, that would have resolved and, and possibly mitigate the impact of this pandemic. With that mm-hmm. being said, um, you know, countries, the World Health Organization is a United Nations kind of uh, agency, right? Mm-hmm. And and it and it is it is there because of all the countries involved. And so, if if the various countries, they are what keeps the um, you know, they are what what keep the World Health Organization accountable. And and I think they should. Um, with you know, with that said, we're not trying to go and and you know point fingers. That's that's completely unproductive. But what countries can do is take the infrastructure that is in place, that is the World Health Organization, and hopefully find some kind of cure or vaccine for it. Because to just simply point fingers and blame means the squandering of a, of a valuable kind of multinational infrastructure that, that, that is already in place. And so I think it's the responsibility of every country to you know, keep an eye on the World Health Organization because the World Health Organization is composed of doctors and physicians from all the different countries of the world. Mm-hmm. And this is my final question for today. So we've discussed a lot and ranging from different topics. Mm-hmm. If there was something that you wanted listeners to take away from our discussion today, what would that be? Uh, I think um, the most important thing is to listen to the voice of professionals, of uh, of scientists, of doctors during these times, and to Mm -hmm. ignore the amount of misinformation and disinformation that are going around in, in this country. Because ultimately, whether or not we tackle this pandemic is truly up to us it is it it really is down to to each one of us being cautious being knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and being willing to put our community first before ourselves and thank you so much lab and before we close off today i just want to thank you lab for coming on to the show and having a productive conversation with me on the world and COVID-19. It was really nice to hear your perspective, and I'm sure a lot of people here listening learned something new. Thank you. And finally, I would just like to thank all of you listeners for taking time out of your day to listen and help bridge the political divide. Our next podcast will be next Monday, the 25th of May, so be sure to tune in for another awesome guest and great discussion. Until then, thank you, and I'll see you all next week.